This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We've come to the time for scripture reading. Today's scripture reading will be taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 13. You can take out your Bible so you can refer to the text displayed on the screen above. Today's scripture reading will be done by our sister, Hui Li. Luke chapter 22, verse 1 to 30. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all finished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials 
and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we truly want to ask you, as we do every time we open your word, that you may be in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, guiding us and teaching us about who you are and who Jesus is. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, I was trying to share the good news of Jesus with a friend. And he says to me, I uh, don't tell me about your religion. I don't need to know about Jesus. I went to a Christian school, you know, I went to ACS for all these years. I know all about Jesus. And let me tell you, all religions are the same. You know, Taoists, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, all the same. Now, my friend is not unusual. I'm sure if you've ever tried to share the good news of Jesus to anyone, they would have perhaps said the same thing to you. Now, I ask them a, a simple question usually when people talk about how all religions are the same. And I ask people usually, why did Jesus come to earth, right? Why did Jesus come to earth? Now, this is a really, really important question which we're going to answer today. And as we've been going through the book of Luke, we've been answering different questions about Jesus, right? So we've been asking about where Jesus has been going to. And since we've been looking at Luke chapter 9 all the way to Luke chapter 20, we've seen that he's been going to Jerusalem, right? Where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem, right? Chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Again, in verse 22, chapter 13, and Jesus went through the towns of religious teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So we know he's going where? Okay, to Jerusalem. Now, we also know what he's going to do in Jerusalem. Because he tells us, over and over again, Luke tells us, that he's going to Jerusalem to die, right? So Jesus says, in any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem, Luke 13. And again, in Luke chapter 18, he says he's going to go to Jerusalem because he's going to be killed there. So, so far, we've learned the where, he's going to Jerusalem. We've learned the what, he's going to die there. But today, we're going to ask why. Why is it so important that he has to go to Jerusalem and to die there? So we begin in chapter 22, verse 1. Now the festival of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Now we've been seeing this over and over again. The religious leaders, they want to get rid of Jesus. But the obstacle, the problem is the crowds, right? So we've seen in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 20, because of the crowds, because they're afraid of the people, because all the people were there, they could not get rid of Jesus. They couldn't arrest him. They couldn't kill him. They couldn't get rid of him. So that's the obstacle that they're facing. But today in Luke chapter 22, we see that there is an answer to the problem, right? The obstacle is possibly going away. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for the opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So here, they're presented with the solution to the problem of the crowds. Right? They have an insider, a betrayer, a traitor. 
Here would be someone who would give them inside information to tell the chief priests and religious leaders when Jesus would be isolated, when he would be alone, where there was no crowd. And we see here in verse 5, they were delighted, right? They were clapping their hands with joy, they were high-fiving themselves because they thought that their plan was coming together and finally, after all this time, they could get rid of Jesus once and for all. Now verse 3 is really important because this, then Satan entered Judas. Right? Now this is a really important little phrase of just three words, right? Because it completely changes the way we understand what is happening. See, the religious leaders see their plan coming together and Judas is their pawn. But what Luke is really saying and what we really see happening behind the scene is actually Satan is the one who's orchestrating the plan. Right? He's the one who, for whom he's giving Judas the impetus to betray Jesus. And in a sense, Judas is Satan's pawn. But more than that, this shows that whatever is happening here is not just something that's happening in some historical backwater in history, but it has cosmic, worldwide, universal dimensions. If we remember all the way back in Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, even before he began his ministry, Satan already tried to destroy Jesus and get rid of him. Right? He tried to tempt Jesus into betraying God and to not even begin his ministry. So even before the religious leaders tried to get rid of Jesus, Satan was already at work trying to put his plan in place to get rid of Jesus. So in one sense, the religious leaders think that their plan is coming together. But in reality, actually it's Satan's plan which is coming together. But is it really Satan's plan? Because as we move along the passage to verse 22, Jesus declares, right, the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Now this word decreed is, the word meaning it's already been determined, right? It's already been ordained, it's already been ordered. And it's often used of God, right, where God decrees something. God orders that something is going to happen, where in God's mind, the future is as good as the past, right? It's already completed. Now, when I was young, I used to play a lot of chess. Uh, I was like a chess geek, right? I used to read chess books. I used to take part in chess competitions, be in my school chess club. And usually when you begin to play chess, you only think like one or two moves ahead. But as you get better and better, you start thinking further and further ahead in terms of how many moves you can move ahead. <clears throat> That's like the beauty of chess, I suppose, and the attraction of it. And it said that the grandmasters, right, the very best chess players can even see up to 15 to 20 moves ahead on the chess board. Now what Jesus is really saying here is that in the game of life, right, even before the chess pieces have been moved, even before the chess board has been set up, God already knows what's going to happen, right? God already knows that Judas is going to betray Jesus. And so if you remember back in Luke chapter 9, right, Luke chapter 9, Way back in Luke chapter 9, the disciples acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. For the very first time, they can see who Jesus is. And what does Jesus say? 
He says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. So if we look back at this, the religious teachers think that their plan is coming together. But actually, it's not, right? Satan's plan is coming together. Satan thinks his plan is coming together. But actually, it's not Satan's plan. It's God's plan that is coming together. And so, when we look at the, the where and the what's and the how's, we see, okay, where are they going? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. What is going to happen? He's going to die there. And how? He's going to be betrayed because of God's decree. Right? God has ordained and ordered that Jesus is going to be betrayed and to be killed to die. Now, that leaves us still with the big question of why. Why is this going to happen? Why is this going to happen? Now, the next section is of the disciples being told to prepare for the Passover. Now, I want you to notice something. In the next 13 verses, actually, the word that keeps being repeated is this word, Passover, right? Passover, Passover, Passover. Now, this is really important, right? Because it's like uh, your mother nagging you, right? Uh, you know, it's like you only get nagged because it's really important and your parents want you to know something's really important, right? And so it's almost like Luke is repeating this phrase, the Passover, the Passover, the Passover, not to nag us, but to remind us when this exactly is happening, right? When this situation is happening. And this is happening during the Passover. And this is really important for Luke and really important for Jesus because we can't understand what is going to happen unless we understand the context of the Passover and what it means. So what is the Passover? Now the Passover, first and foremost, is about rescue. It's about rescue. It's about a time of where in history God's people were slaves in Egypt and where God set them free and brought them into the promised land in Canaan. Okay, so the first thing we need to recognize is rescue is Passover. Passover is about rescue from bondage, okay? Now the second thing that Passover is about is about sacrifice or substitute of innocent blood or innocent death. So the sacrifice of an innocent lamb and its blood painted on the door frames, then the child in the house is saved and substituted for the innocent lamb. So the firstborn of the Egyptians would die, but the firstborn of God's people, the Israelites, would not die. Why? Because of the sacrifice of the innocent lamb. So again, Passover is about sacrifice or substitute. Lastly, Passover is about Passover of judgment. Because of the sacrifice of this innocent lamb, then judgment, God's judgment, passes over the households of the Israelites, God's people. And they are spared of God's judgment. Now we need to remember these three really important things in understanding the Passover. Rescue from bondage, sacrifice a substitute of death, of blood, and the Passover of judgment. Now what happens every year for the Passover is all the Israelites would gather together. They would sit around a meal of the lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. And the oldest member of the house, usually the father, would then explain over the course of the meal what God had done in history. 
to save his people, to rescue his people through the Passover. And so, the Passover meal fundamentally is a memorial meal. It's like a remembrance meal looking back into the past about how God had saved his people and brought them into the promised land through freedom, setting free of bondage, rescue, the sacrifice of the lamb, and the passing over of judgment. So that's the context of what we're looking at today. And it's very, very important because then it will help us understand what's happening with Jesus. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to break one of the rules of preaching here that I was told not to do um, in theological college, which is to compare the original language words, right? But I think it's important because I really want us to see what's already there in the English, but I think it comes out a bit more clearer, right? So Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover of you before I suffer. Now, what does he mean by this? I've eagerly desired to eat this particular Passover meal with you before I suffer. Now, the original language, these two words, Passover and suffer, actually are very similar sounding. Okay, and I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason why Luke has chosen it. And I think there's a reason why Jesus has chosen it. And I'll show you why, right? Now, the word Passover in its original language in Greek is this word, Paschal. So Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Paschal with you until before I suffer. Paschal, right? Actually, it's a future tense, pastin, right? But you can see how it's very, very close, the two words, right? Paschal and Paschal. And what he's trying to do, I think Jesus is trying to do, is he's linking these two things. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover before I suffer. And he's pointing out to the hearers and the readers how actually the Passover is linked to the suffering of Jesus. Now, how are the two things linked, right? How is the Passover linked with the suffering of Jesus? Now, this is where Jesus then explains in the very next section, right? Okay, because this Passover, Pascal, is linked to his Pascal, which is the suffering. And that's why Jesus then says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now you kind of ask yourself, how is the Passover of the past going to find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God? Well, the reason is because the Passover, in a sense, is linked to Jesus, which then points to what's going to find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is, he is like the ultimate Passover lamb. Right? In a sense, he fulfills what the Passover was all about. And therefore, what Jesus does as the new Passover lamb will find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Let me show you what I mean. Many years ago, oh, okay, let me show you what I mean. So this is what the Passover originally, historically, is remembered for, right? It's fulfillment in the rescue of God's people, set free from the bondage of Egypt into the promised land through the sacrifice of this innocent lamb. 
Jesus is then saying that at the cross, he is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, which will then find its fulfillment in the kingdom to come. Now, let's think about that for a moment. How does that work out? How is this so important in the sense that Jesus is this new Passover lamb, which then rescues the people to bring them into the kingdom? Now, many years ago, uh, I don't know whether you've watched this movie before. It's called Risky Business. Um, it's a really old movie. Probably none of you. I don't see any signs of recognition, so nobody's seen it. So I watched this movie many, many years ago with uh, my girlfriend. And in the movie, there's this really famous car, right? A Porsche 928. So the Porsche 928, I, I really liked it, right? Okay, so it's a really nice looking car. And I told my girlfriend then, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to buy that car. And my girlfriend said to me, Oh, don't worry, if you get married, I'll buy it for you. So after I got married, many, many years ago, my wife said, I bought this Porsche 928 for you. See, I bought it for you. Here it is. The Porsche 928, right? It's a model car. So in a sense, the Porsche 928 that I got, it's like just a model, a replica of the real Porsche 928, right? Because I never got the big, the big real thing. And so what Jesus is really saying here is that the Pashka, the Passover in a sense, it's like this model or, 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 or shadow or replica of his real death, right? The Pascal, his suffering on the cross. And so the Passover is pointing forward to Jesus as the real Passover lamb who will die, sacrifice himself, rescue his people, and bring them into the kingdom of God. When you think about it, when Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is, the model of the Passover will be fulfilled with his death on the cross. What the Passover is intended to be in completed work will be fulfilled in Jesus. And so how does this work out? Well, if we think about it, the original Passover was all about rescue from bondage, right? The bondage to slavery in Egypt. But Jesus says that when he dies on the cross, this rescue is actually a much greater rescue, not just bondage from slavery in Egypt, but rather rescue from the bondage of sin and judgment in this world to rescue us and redeem us into the kingdom to come. Jesus is the once and for all substitute of blood and death so that people will be substituted and will not bear the punishment of God and judgment of God once and for all because Jesus died. Not because of a multitude of lambs, but because of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus is the ultimate Passover because with the death of Jesus, it's not just the angel of death passing over the houses of the firstborn, but rather the whole of worldwide judgment will be passed over because Jesus has died for people. Now, because of this, we can then help us to understand the why, right? The why. Why does Jesus die on the cross? Why does Jesus come to the earth? The why is because Jesus comes as our Passover lamb. 
He comes to rescue us, to bring us into the kingdom of God, to sacrifice and substitute himself so that judgment may pass over us. Now, this is so, so important for us to understand, right? Because unless we understand the why, we will never understand what Jesus does when he comes on earth. And therefore, it's so important for us to, to get this in our minds and to understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, once we understand that, then we understand a lot more what Jesus says in his words. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, we don't feel the shock of these words because we are so familiar with them. I want us to put ourselves back 2,000 years ago. Now, remember, every Passover is a remembrance of the past. Every Passover, your father, when you were growing up, would be taking you through what God did in Egypt all those years ago, right? It's a remembrance, a memorial meal of the past. What Jesus does now when he says, this is my body given for you, this is my blood poured out for you, is really, really radical, right? I was trying to think of how radical it would be for us. It's almost as if, you know, we sing uh, Majula Singapore all the time, right? Now, it's just as if someone came and when we started singing Majula Singapura and I'm leading us, I suddenly start changing the words of Majula Singapura. Uh, you all feel a bit shocked, right? Or imagine I'm leading us in the Singapore Pledge, right? And I start changing the words of the Singapore Pledge. Like, you know, we the citizens in Singapore pledge ourselves to something else or whatever. You would also be, feel really shocked, wouldn't you? Now, that's exactly what Jesus has done here. He's basically changed the words of this thing, which basically has been for generation after generation, right? Year after year, been the same. And instead of looking back as a memorial meal, he's looking forward to the future. What does he say? This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. For you. Now that's amazing, right? Because what he's saying here is that it's not looking back to the past anymore, looking back to the lambs which were killed in Egypt. But he's saying, this Passover meal looks forward to me. This is my body which is given for you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Where I will have a violent death and die for all of you so that you'll be rescued, you'll be redeemed out of this sin and brought into the kingdom of God. Now that's why Jesus Christ is not like any other religion. Right? That's why Christianity is not like other religion because the why is different. Right? Jesus didn't come to teach us some philosophical system. 
Jesus didn't come to teach us about a, a certain way of looking at life and suffering and about how we live our lives so that you know, eventually everything will be okay and we'll reach heaven. Jesus doesn't come to teach us a code of morals where you, know, you have to, you have to like, uh, do certain religious practices or abstain from certain things or make pilgrimages or do certain things. Jesus came as the Passover lamb. Jesus came to give himself sacrificially to rescue us from this sinful world, our judgment, and to bring us into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus also says this really important thing. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is really important because basically the passage now breaks free from its historical moorings and anchorings into the disciples to ourselves, right? We are to do this in remembrance of Jesus' death for us. doesn't mean that we become like cannibals and we're literally eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood. But in a very ceremonial, symbolic way, what we are doing is we're actually, I guess, participating and being invited to participate in the benefits of his sacrifice for us. You know, it's a bit like uh, putting on a wedding ring at a marriage ceremony. It's a ceremonial, symbolic thing in the act of marriage. In the same way, in the eating and drinking of Jesus' body, it's an invitation to faith in Jesus as our Passover lamb. We can only benefit and be blessed by sacrifice and death by, in a sense, accepting his body and his blood on our behalf. Now, I want us to, again, think back to ancient history, right? Imagine you were one of those ancient Israelites living in Egypt during the time, and God asked you to sacrifice the lambs and to paint the blood on its doorframe. Now, imagine if you said to yourself, I, uh, my house, I just painted it, right? It's so nice, my doorframe, and now you want me to put blood on it. You know, it's ugly and smelly. Now, your failure to do so would obviously mean that you didn't take God seriously, and at the end, well, I guess the, the sacrifice of the lamb wouldn't benefit you, right? Because you, in a sense, didn't symbolically or ceremonially accept what God had instructed you to do. But in the same way, Jesus died as our Passover lamb. But unless you accept him as your Passover lamb, unless you accept the gift of his death and sacrifice for you, there is no benefit for you, right? There is no rescue for you. There is no sacrifice for you. And neither is there any rescue to the kingdom of God. So many years ago, someone invited me to speak to this expatriate who was passing through Singapore who wanted to find out about Christianity. So we sat down and had a cup of coffee and we had a, a sincere conversation. He asked me a lot of things about Christianity. And he said to me, you know, Andrew, there's a man I really admire in my own country. And this man died many years ago and I know that he died without knowing Jesus. Do you think this man will go to heaven? It's one of those uh, difficult questions, right? So I answered him, and I, this is what I said. I said, you know, Jesus said that he is our 
sacrificial substitute. Right? He's like, our Passover lamb, I actually explained to him this Passover lamb concept. I said, if your friend doesn't have Jesus as his Passover lamb, as his sacrificial substitute, then who is going to take his punishment? Who is going to bear his sins? Right? Who is going to bear his judgment? And I just left it at that. I left it at that to help him to think through the implications of what that would mean. And so for ourselves, that's still the same relevant question, right? For all of us here today, we all need Jesus as our Passover lamb. Because without Jesus as our Passover lamb, then who is going to take our punishment? Who is going to be our sacrifice, right? Who is going to take our judgment for our sins? So as we've seen today, all of us, we need Jesus as our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who came to die for us, to die a violent death, to pour out his blood for us, to sacrifice of his very self, to take our sins on himself so that judgment will pass over us. So I hope that for all of us, indeed, we will accept Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask that you may help us to understand the significance of what Jesus has done. Dear Father, we pray that you may help us to truly take the the full emotional weight of Jesus dying on the cross for us that it wasn't an accident of history, but rather he went to the cross at that particular time because it was your decree, because you determined it to be so, because you planned it from the very beginning. And dear Father, he was the innocent lamb that died for us. So help us to understand that being a Christian is not like all the other religions. Help us to understand that Jesus came to die for our sins as our Passover lamb. Help us to be encouraged by his death. Because as Jesus is our Passover lamb, we know that he has effectively paid and borne all our sins and taken all judgment on himself. And because of that, we know with certainty that when the last day comes, all judgment will pass over us because it has already been paid by Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, everyone. We'll now have a short time of discussion. So please discuss what you've taken away from the sermon with those around you. You can refer to the guiding discussion questions here above. So why does Jesus die? And what must I do to be saved and enter the kingdom of God? So we'll just take a few minutes to discuss with your neighbours. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.